This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the show, Chris Graham with Jerry Ratcliffe on the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. And it's, uh, you know, we're, we're in that time of year. It's, uh, it's early July. We're waiting for football to start. And uh, we'll talk some football as uh, this show goes on. But we'll start where it seems like basketball season never ended, Jerry. We say that a lot, but uh, we, we got some more basketball news to get into. Last week when we were talking, um, it was about uh, some potential recruits getting ready to commit, and one of those young men did. Uh, Christian Bliss on Friday last week announcing that he is committing to the University of Virginia. That's a big get for Tony Bennett and his staff. Yeah, huge get, and – I really thought he was going to come here after he visited. Um, He went to Xavier for a short visit right after he left Charlottesville. Uh, He didn't comment much on Xavier. So uh, he did like his visit to Virginia. And one of the, uh, the reason I thought he would commit here, Chris, more than anything was that he, he pointed out that one of the major factors he was looking for is not only player development, but personal development, not only in the classroom, but also just as a human being. And so he was uh, very impressed with Mike Curtis in terms of uh, strength and conditioning, which was something very important to him. And the fact that Tony Bennett and his staff have developed so many players that have gone on to the next level and continued to do so that Tony had played point guard in the NBA himself. So Bliss thought he could learn some things from him. And he liked just the way that um, Tony runs his life and the five pillars and, and all that stuff. And obviously the academics are nothing that you can even question, but I think that was the total package he was looking for, particularly the the developmental part. And I think that really sold him on, on becoming a Wahoo. So when you look at it uh, with him in the class of 2024, um, uh, suddenly point guard is a position of, of a lot of strength for Virginia. You know, you, when you go into this year, uh, Reese Beekman returning, uh, Dante Harris off the transfer portal. He was already on in the program as a, as a red shirt after coming in from, from Georgetown mid mid season, uh, second semester. Uh, then, uh, Andrew Rohde coming in, he's a, a, a sort of a combo guard, but he played point guard and, and was a really good point guard at St. Mary's as a freshman last year, in addition to scoring 17 points a game. So that'll be the three point guards for the 2023, 2024 season. Then Beekman cycles out. Um, but he'll be replaced uh, in, in, you know, in the roster in a sense by Bliss. So three point guards because uh, both uh, Harris and Rhodey have three years of eligibility each left uh, when they start this uh, this fall. So um, yeah, that's you know the last couple of years Virginia had two really good point guards and Kia Clark and Reese Beekman, but that's pretty much all Tony Bennett had. And uh, you know he'll he'll have uh, it'll be good because he'll have. Uh, uh, you know, a backup plan in place. Uh, there was a game this past year. I remember the Wake Forest game down in Winston-Salem where both Beekman and Clark got four fouls around the 10-minute mark of the second half. And 
Tony had to go three or four very uncomfortable minutes with nobody on the floor playing point guard. Uh, that at least that won't be a problem going forward. Yeah, and for those people that were against Kihei coming back for an extra year, uh, can you imagine what might have happened had he not? I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, who else do you go to? <laughs> yeah, especially when Beekman got hurt there for a while, and uh, what, he played a few games hurt, and he was out for at least one whole game, and maybe a uh, you know a couple games uh, in, in part. So, yeah, yeah Kihei doesn't come back. A lot of things don't happen. I don't think an ACC regular season championship happens, but there's a, a, certainly a weakness there. And, again, a, a strength in the future. And then that's not even including the uh, the ongoing com- uh, on rec- recruitment of Chance Mallory, a class of 2025 point guard from St. Anne's Belfield. Uh, Tony putting a lot of emphasis on getting those point guards in uh, into the program. Yeah, I mean, I think his offense is predicated on having a good point man and at least one good point, man, because we know he likes to sometimes play two at the same time. But, um, you know, I was talking to Kihei and Ty Jerome and, and those guys. They they set up the offense. They make things go. They find the open man and, and make things happen. And the better point guard you have who can, especially if he can create his own shot, um, and if they can hit the outside shot, that, that means a lot to any offense, particularly Virginia's, which is predicated somewhat on wearing, passing the ball around, wearing the defense down, and, and finding the open man. And if you don't have somebody excellent at that position, you know, the whole thing kind of backfires on one other bit of recruiting news uh, Virginia reaching out to a forward from New Jersey who has Virginia ties in a sense of uh, the former CAA player of the year, Odell Hodge from ODU back in the early to mid nineties, his son, Matthew Hodge has uh, received an offer from UVA basketball. Yeah. He seems like a uh, chip off the old block for sure. Uh, Odell Hodge was played from 92 to 97 at ODU. Uh, he's six foot nine. Matthew is six foot eight, still in high school. Uh, Odell was the two-time CAA player of the year, and he's still their third-time, uh, third all-time leading scorer with over 2,000 points, over 1,000 rebounds, and uh, nearly 300 block shots. So you can see why he was so highly regarded at ODU. And uh, certainly ODU has come after Matthew. <laughs> Jeff Jones would love to have him as part of the Monarchs program. And they have offered him along with Maryland, Alabama, Penn State, Virginia Tech, Seton Hall, Rutgers, and I assume maybe some more by now, along with Virginia. But um, Matthew was offered uh, the day after our last podcast, Chris. So um, this is the first we're talking about him on here. He's a 6'8", power forward, 200 pounds. He averaged nearly 15 points and nine rebounds. 3.4 3.4 block shots at St. Rose, uh, which is up in, I think, Belmar, New Jersey. And he's considered a three-star right now, but I imagine that will probably rise as he progresses. Number eight, 88 overall recruit. Um, 
by 247, the number 40 power forward, although uh, their national uh, consensus of all the um, recruiting services has him as the number 27 power forward in his class and in the top seven in New Jersey by both of those recruiting services. Uh, he, he already has uh, an official visit scheduled to Penn State and said that he was setting up visits to Virginia Tech and Old Dominion. And uh, he's participating, he's, he's a teammate of Bliss, uh, I believe, with the PSA Cardinals. And they're down in uh, North Augusta as we speak in, at Peach Jam, um, right across the river from Augusta, Georgia, home of the Masters. Um, and so they'll be there for the rest of this week. I think it's over on Sunday or Monday. And so he, he thinks that when he uh, gets back from Peach Jam, he's going to evaluate all the interest in him and narrow his list of schools uh, with with the PSA Cardinals, which is sort of the Nike EYBL circuit. used to be, I guess, it's another form of AAU. I, I, there's so many things out there now, it confuses me, but um, – He's averaging eight, a little over eight points a game and is shooting uh, 38% from the three-point line. So uh, he's not just a power forward strength guy. He can also take it out to the perimeter if he needs to. We all know that Tony likes guys who can do that. So uh, another recruit that Virginia's got their eye on, I know that uh, – Virginia's got their coaches all over the place now that uh, the recruitment period is open again. They're, I think they've reached out to 20 to 25 people already, and they're all over the country watching them as we speak. I think Tony is uh, up north somewhere watching maybe, and uh, I, I'm not sure who's down at Pete's Jam, probably uh, Wolford or um, – or possibly Ron Sanchez. I'm, I'm not sure who, who's down there, but they're scattered all over the place, getting a good uh, evaluation of all these players. I think I'd rather be up north. The further north, the the, the better the chance is it might be five degrees cooler. I don't know if it's getting <laughs> much cooler anywhere right now, but north may be give you give you a better shot. That's probably why Tony's uh, he, he went he went in that direction. Um, it could be he's a northern guy, right? He he's a northern guy. Plus, he's the boss. So he can choose where he wants to go. <laughs> um, so, a lot of basketball recruiting news there, uh, Jerry. You mentioned before we uh, started the podcast that uh, uh, you've been on a couple radio shows this week talking UVA football. Just kind of general look at the 2023 season. Also, I mentioned when you said that uh, I've done a couple columns this week, kind of doing similar things. So, uh, you know, we're still three weeks away. I just looked at the schedule. We're still three weeks away from the ACC kickoff, which will kind of get us going for uh, our, our coverage of the preseason in earnest as far as that goes. But um, what are your thoughts and what have you been talking about with the radio folks about uh, this upcoming UVA football season? Well, both both of the radio hosts, Bob Black at ESPN Richmond and, and Luke Near at Best Seat in the House, we're just kind of wondering, I, I guess they're in sort of the same shape we're in. There's not a lot going on in July, but until kickoff pops up in Charlotte in a few weeks, but 
they were both just kind of inquisitive about what the UVA football fans have to get excited about come August training camp and, and when the season begins. And, you know, candidly, you, you, you try to be optimistic and, and uh, I wish Tony Elliott and his staff the best, but it, it's hard to find a lot of things to get excited about. I, I said, you know, perhaps they're going to have to depend heavily on uh, John Rudzinski's defense. Uh, he, he did a marvelous job last year in his first year as Virginia's defensive coordinator. Uh, I mean, there were there were some pretty uh, stingy performances by that defense throughout the course of the season, even though they were behind the eight ball and, and put in some bad predicaments time and time again. So I, I think, you know, they're going to have to rely heavily on a defense that lost its two best players through the transfer portal, and um, which was a shame because if they had those two guys coming back, uh, wow, I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to play against that defense, I don't think, no matter how good my offense is. But uh, So they're going to have to find some other people and, and try to hold opponents down to as low as they can. And there were several games last year where they, the defensive side of the ball did their job and they kept opponents' scoring totals down to where it should have been at least a winnable game or a competitive game. But the offense just couldn't come through. They averaged 17 points a game. We've talked about that uh, here before. And the best part of that offense from – for my perch is that is gone. Uh, those receivers are gone, and uh, some of the linemen are gone, and quarterback is gone. I, I don't know if that's a bad thing because he had a miserable year last year and couldn't even hit wide re- wide open wide receivers. I, it was some of the worst quarterbacking I've seen in a long time, and um, so you know. I, I had to be honest on those shows, and I, there's not a lot I don't think to be excited about because if you can't score, you can't win, and I don't care how good your defense is. You, you've got to find ways to score, and I know they scored a bunch of points in the spring game, but that was the spring game against each other, and, you know, there was you can't judge really anything by a spring game. I, I don't think maybe you could back 20, 25 years ago, not these days. And, you know, when training camp opens, I'm sure you and I and, and all the rest of us out there listening or watching on YouTube are going to be extremely focused on the quarterback job. And can Tony Musket, run this offense can he put points on the board if he can't is jay wolfolk capable of doing it um and we all know that he's at playing baseball right now for usa baseball and not really here working doing seven on seven skeleton drills all that stuff and working out a chemistry with the receivers that he has some of them new or um people playing more prominent roles this year than they did a year ago. And, you know, can he magically make that up in August training camp 
after playing baseball all spring and part of the summer, it's a, a real challenge. And certainly he's a great athlete and maybe he can do it. Uh, we've, we've heard Tony Elliott say, not this past spring, but the previous spring when Wolfuck uh, lit things up in a scrimmage, not with his arm, but with his legs. And just and Tony Elliott, Elliott described him as electric in that scrimmage with his ability to make things happen when pass protection breaks down or if he just had a called running play. And, you know, I think that's something that could be in Virginia's benefit is having a running quarterback who can create and, and make things happen. And that might be the best way to open up an offense that was pretty stagnant last year. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Good Feet store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. You know, I, I did a review, Jerry, of of what some of the preseason guides have to say. You know, they they still publish these things, and Athlon and right on one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Athlon and on three put Virginia fourteenth in the ACC. That's dead last. Phil Steele uh, was a little nicer, thirteenth. ESPN's Football Power Index also thirteenth. Um, twenty four seven Sports. I think somebody there might be smoking some of the hokum. They uh they. They they put Virginia's worst case scenario at four and eight overall and two and six in the ACC. That's that's not going to be thirteenth or fourteenth. That's closer to tenth or eleventh, I'd say. Um, and 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 twenty four seven sports also said best case scenario six and six and four and four. And I, man, I tell you what, you know, I I wonder who wrote that article. Um, as far as that goes, I I you know I think three and nine uh, is probably the over under. I know that you wouldn't put a betting over under at three and nine because you'd want two and a half or three and a half, but I think three and nine is sort of the line for Virginia this year um, as far as things go. And you know you look at the schedule; it's it's not a not a easy schedule. Uh, you start with Tennessee. You got JMU at home. JMU won eight games last year in its first year and. FBS and you know they've got that game you circle on their calendar and have had for months. Then you play Maryland, which Maryland is, you know, they're not the Maryland of the 1980s. On the road, on the road, on, the road, on a Friday mm-hmm. night, and Maryland is, you know, they were mid middle of the pack in the Big Ten last year. And when I looked at what their writers are saying about that game, they're right, they're they're penciling that one in, almost writing it in and pin as a win for for Maryland. So that that's kind of what their expectations are. You got NC State in September coming to Charlottesville with Brennan Armstrong, with Robert and I. I don't know. That's going to be very pretty. Um, you know, I, I think at best out of those first four games, you're probably off to a one and three start. That's assuming that you maybe, you know, eke out a win over a JMU team that, again, is at, at least on paper going to be as talented as this Virginia team. Then you got a, a game at Boston College that's very much a must win as far as this team's outlook goes. You know, Boston College is another team that's picked towards the bottom of the conference. It's a game on the road, so that makes it a little tougher. But, um, you know, that's the fifth game. They, you know, Virginia plays five games um, in the month of September this year. And 
you know, if they can win that game and be two and three, there's a chance, you know, if, if they were to win one of those first four and then, and then beat Boston college two and three, I mean, they can play towards respectability at that stage, but you know, I can also see zero and five out of that. And, you know, when you go after that, uh, you know, Wayman Mary at home is not necessarily going to be easy. Wayman Mary was in the FCS playoffs last year. I think they're picked uh, pretty high in the FCS national poll, too. Yeah, they are. They won, I think, 11 games last year. And, you know, when I looked at the ESPN Football Power Index, you can actually go game by game uh, with that. And, it's, of course, it's early. You know, one's hurt and that kind of thing. But um, the Football Power Index only has Virginia as a favorite in three of the 12 games this year, the home games with JMU, Wayman Mary, and Georgia Tech, another team picked towards the bottom of the ACC. So, you know, um, there's a couple other games that, you know, the Boston College game on the road, the Virginia Tech game at home that are close to 50-50s. But, uh, you know, a lot of things going to have to go right for this Virginia team to win four or five games. And, you know, We'll see. I mean, the defense you mentioned, if, if the, the defense was, was solid last year, it loses Fentrell Cypress and Nick Jackson. You, if he had those guys back, you'd feel a lot better about the defense. I still feel pretty good about the defense, but the yeah. offense concerns the heck out of me. The uh, So many guys lost again, second straight year on the offensive line, another makeshift offensive line. I think that Tony Musket's going to end up being the starting quarterback. I'm not sure if he's a better quarterback than Jay Wolfolk, but I think the fact that Jay, you know, had to for obvious reasons, Jay's going to be a draft pick in the MLB draft next year. He's got to think about uh, his baseball career. That's why he's playing for Team USA now after a, a long sp- uh, spring with the UVA baseball team. But as a result of that, he got limited time in the spring practice with UVA football. He won't get any of that seven-on-seven skeleton time, just the 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 time getting the timing down to his receivers in the summertime. Um, I think that you know you're going so you're going to see Tony Musket, a guy that's going to be challenged to to to, to you know, even in a, gr- a perfect scenario if he had a, a veteran offensive line coming back, he'd be challenged making the jump from Monmouth to to UVA playing in the ACC. I think playing behind that offensive line uh, is going to be even more of a challenge for him and. You know, the offense is going to really struggle. It's going to make the defense's job even harder. You know, last year, UVA was 117th in the country in third down conversions, 32.1%. That was with a veteran quarterback and veteran guys at wide receiver. Um, you know, if if the offense is, is you know, getting off the field quick, more, you know, as quick as they did last year, even, even more so than last year, that defense is going to be out there playing a lot more uh, with, with a lot less rest. And, uh, you know, I think we saw that in the second half of some games last year where they, as good as the defense was, they, it just wore down because of the the, the sheer amount of uh, challenge they got because the offense wasn't moving the ball enough. So that, I, I, I don't know, Jerry, I'm, I'm trying to be positive. I, there's a lot, there's a lot that we can hope for with this team in year two of Tony Elliott, but I don't, I don't know that we're going to see the results on the field. Yeah, no, I agree. I, you, you try to be positive. I, I'm out. Tony Elliott is a really nice guy, and, and uh, all of these coaches that I've met are, are really good guys. You, you would wish them the best and hope that they could turn this thing around. It's just really hard when you get down in Division One Power Five football. It's it's hard to reverse field, so to speak. And um, I would, I'll tell you what, Chris, I would love, and I know this would never happen, but I would love to be able to go over and sit down 
in that offensive room and just listen, just listen to the, what the coaches are talking about, what they're saying, what they're planning, what they're trying to come up with to solve these issues. Uh, I, I think it would be fascinating to see what's on their minds and, and how they're addressing all the obstacles or, or whatever. And, you know, I mean, these guys have been around some good football coaches. They've been around some good football programs. Uh, I'm sure they've seen a lot of stuff and, and have a lot of knowledge. And it would be nice just to listen to see what they're talking about. And uh, they may have some ideas on, on how to open up the offense and, and execute that um, that we're not privy to. And um, that would be just fascinating to listen to. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a major concern. And, I mean, gosh, uh, you look around college football now, and I mean, even if you're averaging 30 points a game, you're not even anywhere near the top uh, 20, 25, 30 schools maybe less than that uh because uh, i mean offenses are so wide open now and if you don't have a, a dynamic quarterback that really puts you behind the eight ball um i mean you know, how do you how do you generate points if you the offensive line as we know has struggled here for years as coach after coach has tried to build a running game and just hasn't been very successful at it. Uh, there are times when they've been able to do it, but not on a consistent basis. And there's a, a lot of talented running backs in that running backs room. Um, maybe the biggest stable of, of running backs Virginia's had in, in years, maybe more than a decade, probably more than a decade. Um, maybe going back to some of those Al Groh teams when they had some pretty darn good running backs. Yeah, the Wally Lundy Alvin Pearman group. Uh, yeah, that, that's that this this group could be as good as that, but we we might not know it because might of the lack of it. offensive line play. Yeah, because because Groh always had good offensive yeah. line. It turned out some NFL guys, but yeah, um, this in this offensive line is is somewhat unproven, and you would like to think you know if there's a way to generate points and yardage it would be through all those really good running backs but if they <laughs> I, I keep hate I, I hate to keep going back to this quote by Al Grove but it, I've never heard anything any more true about running games than what he told me once um, he said Jerry all running backs run the same if there's no hole <laughs> <laughs> there might have been a few exceptions to that, like Jim Brown and Earl Campbell. And so they Barry might, Sanders, maybe <laughs> they might have they might have uh, made their own hole or found another one. But basically, that's pretty true, and we've seen that more than we'd we'd like. Um, but you know, I, as Tony Musket, I don't know, you couldn't tell that much in the spring game. Is is he a great passer, or didn't didn't see him throw down the field that much successfully uh they were most mostly mid-range short short passes uh that can work if 
maybe if you're hitting your running backs on some screen passes and some things, but uh, eventually the defense catches onto that too. But I don't know. There might be some ways they can open up this offense that that they're scheming as we speak. Um, and there better be because, <laughs> I mean, if they're averaging 17 points again this year, they're, it, those predictions of three and nine are, are in that neighborhood are, are almost destined to become true. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965 with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's Big Time Steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. You, you know, Jerry, to your point, I looked at last year's uh, schedule and results. Uh, and if Virginia, there were three games that Virginia lost in that three and seven finish uh, in which the uh, the defense gave up 24 points or less. I, and I bring up that number 24 because Bronco Mendenhall famously, among the many things, he was he was a numbers guy. And he always said 24 was the number. Uh, score more than 24, give up less than 24. That was the goal for each of those two units. And so 24 uh, played a role last year. If, if the offense could have scored 24 points in three of those losses, a, a three and seven season becomes a six and four season. If they finish last year six and four, um, our everything about Virginia football feels different right now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think. I think Virginia fans would have been okay with that, particularly in the coaching change yeah. like that in, in the first year of a coaching change. Because um, a lot of people don't expect a lot of success that first year. Although I, I think a, most Virginia fans were really disappointed in last year because the offense failed so miserably with so many experienced guys returning who, I mean, I, I write for Lindy's preseason magazine I, I was looking for it a minute ago when you were giving out those numbers I don't know what they picked them I forgot to forgot to look but uh anyway um Lindy's had Virginia's receiving core last year uh as the fourth best in the entire nation and that might have been underrated I thought heading in although they turned out to be a bust um and I still I'm trying to figure out why I've heard a lot of theories. Um, and with those guys returning and, and Armstrong, who was coming off an incredible year, um, and I've heard some theories on why he went bust as well, I guess we'll find out more about that this year when he's back in that same nice system that some people claim he couldn't play outside that system and that's why the NFL wasn't interested and that's why some of the schools he visited in the Big Ten, the Pac-12 and the SEC weren't interested uh, and that's why he ended up back with Anaya again for another year because he can operate in that system 
Um, forgot what my point was, but um, you know, I, it, oh, about the six and six and four season, but uh, yeah, I think that would have been uh, beyond most people's expectations, really, and expectations this year are, are, are pretty low. I, I think last year created a sense just talking to people and people reading the site, people sending me emails, running into people in the street. Uh, I sense a lot of apathy about it. And I don't know about you, but we yeah, I'm sure you do. Well, I know you do. You monitor your stories and what people are reading. And there seems to be less interest in football right now than than in the past. And uh, although I did see a little pickup in, in the latest round of recruiting commitments that they got. So um, maybe it's just out of season and people aren't paying attention, but, um, you know, they, they, they're going to have to at least be competitive in those first few games that you mentioned, Chris, or they could lose their fan base, or at least a, a part of it. Now, there's there's a hardcore group of Virginia football fans that will always be there, rain or shine, win or lose. Um, they're there to support. But uh, you get the others that are hangers on or bandwagon jumpers and all that. They, you'll lose those in a hurry if you can't at least be competitive and make the games entertaining and somewhat interesting i think and that's that's been a problem i mean even even when broncos teams were winning the, yeah. the you know virginia hasn't sold a game out since the 2008 season opener with southern cal and that wasn't because of uva that was because it was a really good southern cal team right and you know i think in 2019 the year that virginia went to the um, orange bowl there was nearly 60,000 for the florida state game early that year depressingly much less than that for it was around 55,000 for the Virginia tech game, which was for the ACC regulars for the division championship to get into the ACC championship game that year that Virginia won first time they'd beaten tech in all those years and still couldn't fill the place up. Um, and so the fan base, you know, has, has been reluctant to come back even, even, you know, during that one really good year, which isn't that long ago. The last couple of years uh, has been, I mean, last year particularly. You know, I, I know the the announced average attendance was around forty thousand in a sixty thousand seat stadium. You know, Jerry, you and I were there for each of those games. There were not, there weren't forty thousand people. I don't think for a single game, much less an average of forty thousand. No, I, they've highly inflated those numbers. I believe. Yeah, if if it was thirty thousand, you know, we're lucky in most games and. Uh, you know, you're and and this year with the, I mean, at least last year going in, there were somewhat decent expectations because Brennan was coming back because the receivers were back. You know, the previous year's team had started six and two, faded down the stretch. There was a new coach who's from Clemson, so there was, you know, there was there was some hope going into last year. Yeah, you know, not, not only the three and seven finish, the way the offense played, and then of course the tragedies of November thirteenth that will resonate unfortunately for years. Um, you know, there's not expectations going into this season. And, and then the season starts with Tennessee in Nashville, a really good Tennessee program coming off a great year. I know they got a new quarterback to left to integrate, but 
they they pull from a from a better stock on you know fair or not to say about our guys you know Tennessee's pulling from a different class of, of quarterbacks to replace its quarterback than than we are um you know that that game could be a a awful start to the season if if things get off to the you know if if this team gets blown out in that first game and then has to come back home lick its wounds against a JMU team that's sitting there just waiting to you know, pull the big win against the team from over the mountain, uh, and and show up uh, Virginia in its own stadium uh, in in JMU's first visit as an FBS team. I mean, this season could go off the rails really quick. And if that's the case, yeah, we'll, we'll be there in, in October and November with lots and lots of empty seats. And 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 that, that's it's not it's not fun for anybody. It's not fun for the fans who are there. It's not fun for the writers. It's not fun for the players. You have recruits coming in uh, for future, you know, classes, and they're going to be there with no energy in the crowd. It's a snowball effect, unfortunately. Yeah, three three points to some of the things you mentioned. Uh, that one, the, the last time Notre Dame was here uh, two years ago, they didn't sell that out. And Notre right. Dame was in the top ten in the country. They bring a lot of fans. They normally sell out everywhere they go. People, if nothing else, just want to see Notre Dame. Well, in Virginia, they, going they that sell game that was, out. and we were still in the ACC race at that time. Yes, absolutely. And I know Armstrong was hurt and didn't play, and but still, I, and I think had he played in that game, I think Virginia might have been able to pull the upset in that game. I, I would not have been shocked had Virginia won that game. Um, uh, another point was uh, about JMU. Uh, that'll be their Super Bowl. I mean, you're right. Licking the chops is is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna. They brought. I'm sure they've already got that. Had it circled on their calendar for a long time. And um, another point about the Tennessee quarterback. I know he's a freshman, but I'm already seeing him uh, on, on some SEC. Uh, posts and stuff that. He, he's already being mentioned as possibly being one of the top four quarterbacks in the SEC this year as a rookie. So um, if they're counting on him coming in and and uh, blowing it for the balls, uh, they better think about something else because he's this kid, from what I've read, is, is really, really good and, and advanced for a college freshman. So um, that just makes it even more tough sledding in, in that category. But, uh, I mean, that, they just got to hope that they can go out there and, and not let that game get out of hand and lose any confidence that they may have. Because, like, you know, as, as we keep saying, JMU is going to come in here with a world of confidence, thinking, hey, if we can knock off Virginia, we're – we're going to stake a claim as the best team in the state. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, who's going to argue with that? The Hokies will, but I'm sure JMU feels like that they can beat anybody in the state. And yeah. then, like, like you said, going to Maryland is used to be kind of a picnic, but I don't think it is anymore. I think even though their program is not great, it's further advanced than it was uh, when they joined the Big Ten. They've Hired the guy that's the was the Alabama offensive coordinator for a year, and he's done a good job with uh, Tagla Viola up there, and um, 
getting a little bit better recruit. They they won a couple of surprisingly uh, big Big Ten games last year that I didn't think they could win. And NC State is, speaks for itself. Boston College, I, I haven't looked at them very closely. I'm not sure what they have coming back from last year, but they've been, except for the last time they were here a few years ago, when they kept opening up one quarterback after another and, and uh, like the fourth or fifth string quarterback threw for a school record, breaking Doug Flutie's passing records against what was a, a terrible Virginia pass defense at that point in time. Uh, normally they're a team that just likes to beat you up and play physical football. I, I don't know what they've got coming back. I haven't looked. So uh, the playing them on the road is, has never been easy. DMU opens with Bucknell, so uh, they'll, they'll come in uh, with a warm-up game, uh, you know, let's just say it that way, and, and and Virginia will be coming off the Tennessee game. You know, I brought up something too, Jerry. I, I wrote a column today on Augusta Free Press about the quarterback battle and, and how, I, I guess I've already said it here, I, I expect it'll be Tony Musket's job to lose just just because he's got the work, he's been able to put consistent work in, whereas Jay's been playing baseball for the last six or seven months. Um, what a concern I've got is uh, I was talking with someone around the program a few weeks ago uh, and mentioning that I was impressed with Anthony Calandria, the, the, the true freshman who, who actually graduated high school early, uh, was able to participate in the spring in spring practice. I thought he looked pretty good in the spring game uh, because uh, Wolfolk was not able to play in the spring game. Calandria quarterbacked um, one of the two teams in the, in the scrimmage and, and, he threw, I think, I think it was 26 of 37 uh, passing, got a lot of, well, got a work, a lot of work back there in the backfield. And I thought he looked pretty, pretty comfortable back there. Um, it was emphasized to me that no, he will not be in the battle for QB one going into training camp. Uh, it's, it's definitely down to, to, to Jay and to Tony Musket. Um, but what that tells me then is Calandria is also not, if, if you can't be number one, you can't be number two. Um, you're number three. And, a concern I've got is then that this person who was telling me about all this was also saying, well, likely, I mean, you know, Tony Elliott has said he's going to make his choice uh, early in camp. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's not made a choice yet. He, he probably could have after the spring based on sort of the tea leaves I'm reading here, thinking that everything I'm hearing tells me it's going to be Tony Muscat's job. Um, if, if that's the case, uh, what I was told is that they're preparing some things for Jay to get on the field because, as you mentioned, you know Tony saw how electric he can be. Uh, so they want to do some things, maybe some wildcat plays, maybe lining up, line him up at slot receiver, lining him up in the backfield as a running back, kind of, kind of the way Robert and I used Keaton Thompson um, for three years, uh, and maybe even getting one of the field as a punt returner. Tony talked about that last year uh, in one of his pregame, uh, you know, early week uh, press conferences, just a way to get him on the field. Okay, so I say all that to say, if your backup quarterback is out there running wildcat plays and, and slot receiver and punt returning, he might get hurt. <laughs> you know, it can happen. And um, then it's down to Tony Musket, a transfer from an FCS school and, and, and a true freshman quarterback that right now they don't think is ready to be the, the number one quarterback. That's when things can really go off the rails if something happens there. Yeah, no question. Calandria uh, is an interesting, uh, intriguing, I guess, recruit. He 
put up incredible numbers down in Florida in, in a pretty competitive league. Um, but not many schools bit on him. And I, I know he's small, uh, but he's got, a, he's got a strong arm and he's got a lot of football savvy. I don't know. I, you know, we saw him in the spring game. That's really, it didn't seem much more to be able to judge. And, and he, like you said, he had some decent numbers, but it was a spring game. Um, I, you know, the jury's still out on him, at least as far as fans and media go, the coaches obviously get a lot better looks at him than we do, but um, yeah, I mean, if, if Wolfolk would get hurt and Calandria is not a guy that they feel confident in and being number two at this point in time, being a true freshman, yeah, what do you do? Um, what do you do if Musket gets hurt? Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. It's, uh, I, I like Musket's uh, confidence. He, he comes in, he's, he's a very focused kid. I talked to him a couple of times in the spring and, he says all the right things and uh, he exudes confidence and, and believes that he's been, you know, he said, I've, I've been around football for a long time now. He has a bunch of starts. He's a lot, got a lot of experience. Just a, a matter of how it translates from FCS to FBS football. And people are going to test him early to see what he's made of. And if he shows any weaknesses, he, you know, people will try to exploit that from week to week because we all know coaches are the biggest copycats of anybody in the country. So, um, it's a, it, you know, you're going into training camp and into September with a huge question mark. I mean, a huge question mark and all eyes are going to be on that quarterback race and, I just I, I don't I don't know what to predict in terms of that. Um, you, we just won't know until we see it live against a, a, another team instead of against an inner squad scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. In in terms of uh, Tony Musket, uh, his last game, uh, he got injured at the end of last season. His his last game was against Rhode Island. Uh, in front of 3,478 people, his next game is going to be in Nashville <laughs> in an NFL stadium against Tennessee in front of 65,000 people wearing the wrong color orange from our perspective. That's, overflowing, <laughs> that's for sure. If we're, yeah. I mean, we're lucky we're not playing them in Knoxville because it'd be 110,000 people wearing the wrong color orange. But um, yeah, it's going to be different um, as far as that goes. And you know, you brought up a point, Jerry. It, it kind of made me think uh, it, what happens if one of those guys gets hurt, whether it's Musket or, or Wolfolk gets hurt. I remember this, it, it, it most came out during Bryce Perkins' uh, 2019 season. And it was actually, I, I think it was Brennan as the backup got hurt. And uh, as a result, they, they uh, Bronco Mendenhall and Robert and I really uh, vanillaed the offensive game plan for like four or five games. Because they they realized they could not risk getting Bryce Perkins hurt because there was no one behind Bryce Perkins after after Armstrong was down for a few weeks there and and so you know if if that's the case I mean yeah if if something happens to either Jay or Tony then 
everything we with it, everything we bring up to uh, Jerry is is not positive. <laughs> yeah, it just and gets worse the more you think about it. <laughs> it's not like we're trying to be negative. No, but, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, they had. Uh, I think they had uh, maybe Wolfolk and uh, and uh, Keaton Thompson and uh, who was the other quarterback? From Woodbury Forest, whose name escaped. Oh, me. it was Lindell Stone. In 2019, yeah, we didn't ha- in 2019, yeah. we didn't even have uh, Woolfolk yet. He was still in high school, and Keaton yeah. Thompson was still at Mississippi State. We had Lindell Stone as the third string guy. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, that's why. I mean, no offense to Lindell Stone, but that's why. That's why it was a four game stretch too. I think that year Virginia started four and zero. Armstrong got hurt. Uh, when he was running the offense for a series in like the Louisville, no, not the Louisville game. It was another game that year. Um, and and the next four games when they when the offense went very plain um, to keep Bryce healthy, that Virginia went one and three in those those four games. Um, so yeah, you gotta you gotta account for because I know you know there will be people who say, but look at the quarterbacks on the roster. There's like eight guys there. Well, there's there's two guys in the mix for quarterback one and there's a third guy and then there's a bunch of other guys who are technically quarterbacks who will never play quarterback in college at least not at the division one a level the fbs level no offense to them but they're there they're, they might be quarterbacks by name but they're not going to play in the acc uh and so yeah the, the numbers are thin there and uh that's you know that's not entirely tony elliott and and des kitching's fault um, they inherited different quarterbacks recruited by a different uh, offensive coordinator. Robert and I recruited guys who fit his system. Um, and, you know, we're only in year two of Tony's system, and he's still trying to get guys who play football the way he does. It took Bronco and his group a couple years to get the guys they wanted in place. Um, in fact, his first two starting quarterbacks were, were both transfers. Kurt Binkert and Bryce Perkins were both transfers. Brennan Armstrong was the first homegrown quarterback. Uh, that Bronco had. So it takes a while to get your guys in place and get them ready to play quarterback. Um, but in, in that case, yeah, there's a bunch of guys there holding clipboards right now um, uh, in, in the, in the huddles and in practices uh, under Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings who just don't fit their system and, and are not going to be able to to really give them much, um, you know, this year or next year, that kind of thing. It's, it's that, that's, that's what makes this even harder. There's just not a lot of numbers there. I tend to agree. I, I I don't think Bronco and his staff did a very good job after getting Armstrong of of finding quarterbacks. Really, and um, they're going to pay for it. But it's just you know they uh, they were lucky that that Arm that uh, Bryce Perkins was who Bryce Perkins is. I mean, yeah. He, yeah. they found him at a junior college, yeah, out in Arizona who. Um, Jason Beck actually discovered him. He was he knew the the uh, head coach at Snow College, where he may have gone to school. I think Bronco went to school. Bronco there. went to school there, yeah. yeah. Um, and they knew the head coach there. And and Bryce playing at, out in Arizona had come in and just tore up uh, a playoff game against Snow College, and this guy just raved to Jason Beck about how good he was. And Jason saw uh, some film and, and said, okay, what's this guy's number? 
and they 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 brought him on board as soon as they possibly could. And I remember the first time I met Bryce, it was in um, gosh, I can't remember. It was it was, it was I know it was a really cold, nasty day, and I met him inside the McHugh Center for an interview. I think it was his first interview he'd had here since arriving in Charlottesville. And while I was waiting on him, I bumped into Marcus Higgins, my old friend, in the hallway. And I said, uh, Marcus, what's your uh, what's your opinion of, of this Perkins kid? And he just started grinning and grinning and smiling and and shaking his head. And he said, he said, we've never had anybody like him before at quarterback. And I said, I mean, I said, you mean as like versatility, athletically, all that? He said, yes, all of the above. He said, and I said, well, what about you? I mean, you were pretty, pretty darn versatile and athletic. He said, he said, I can't hold a candle to this kid. So, I mean, they got so lucky bringing him in. And who knows where Broncos program would have gone if they hadn't been able to lasso a guy like him and, and get him into the fold and rewrite Virginia offensive records and career records in two years. <laughs> well, think of I me, mean, both those two, the first two guys, Binkert and Perkins, both fell into their laps in a sense because they were injured. You know, Binkert got injured, tore his ACL at East Carolina. Then there was a coaching change. Ruffin McNeil got fired and and he left. And, and actually Ruffin joined the staff at EVA for a, a time. Um, and then so Binker transferred, uh, and then uh, Perkins broke. He, he suffered a broken bone in his neck. Yeah. Uh, at Arizona, I think it was Arizona, or Arizona State, one of those two. Arizona State. Arizona yeah. State. Yeah. And that then he ends up at the junior college. He was a four star recruit at a high school. I mean, stud at a high school. And um, so they both fell into they both fell into their laps. They did they did well did well by them. But um, you know, for four years you had quarterbacks that. Um, you know, they hadn't recruited and developed. They just they just got the finished products in both cases. And both those guys are in the NFL, been bouncing around this, the periphery of the NFL, bankered on uh, either as a backup quarterback or practice squad guy, and, and then Perkins as a backup quarterback got a few starts last year. Um, and again, Brennan's the first guy that that, that group developed. Um, they de- they recruited athletes though the VNI and, and Mendenhall group they recruited some you know because they had they re- they also recruited Keaton Thompson who ended up putting it wide receiver and he was the leading receiver the last two years. I'm thinking of that Jacob Rodriguez kid who came in and was supposedly a quarterback ended up playing receiver and running back and everything else. Um, they have those two guys who are deep on the depth chart now. Uh, who were both like you know champion sprinters in high school. Yeah, <laughs> Get them on the field somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, they, they they recruited athletes at that position because the air raid offense that Anai prefers, um, you know, you need a very mobile quarterback who can uh, threaten defenses with with feet as much as with their arms. And the pro style offense that Tony Elliott prefers, um, he would he would like a guy who can stand back in the in the pocket, uh, stand up tall in the pocket. And, uh, you know, pick a part of defense that way. And, uh, you know, that Tony Muskett's the only guy who really fits that bill. Cause even Jay Wolfolk, he's a baseball pitcher who throws 97 miles per hour on the mound, but as a, as a football player, he's a little more raw and certainly his speed, uh, is, is his key element there. And, 
uh, you know, how that fits into the pro style. I don't, his talent level being what it is, I don't know that it fits well in the pro style. Yeah. And, um, again, I, I don't think we could get a good gauge on that in the spring game, even though that's what they were yeah. trying to do. But I, I, I think they kept things fairly vanilla and, yeah. um, I just I didn't I didn't walk away from there with a good feel for what they're trying to do, um, and we probably won't until we see it unveiled out in Nashville under less than ideal circumstances. Less than ideal, indeed. Uh, you know, I guess what Tony's probably selling his team one. Um, I remember Jerry going you know in past years going to the ACC kickoff, which we're going to be going in a couple weeks here again this year. Uh, whenever there'd be a team with a really big first game on the schedule, I would make sure to ask a coach and a couple of players from that team, you know, because most teams start kind of like Jamie starting with Bucknell. Most teams like to start with an easy game just to kind of get, you know, get the kinks out and that kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, when you start a game, uh, start a season with a game like Virginia starting Tennessee in Nashville, boy, that should, that should, uh, that should have an imprint on every sprint you run, every weight you lift, every drill you run, uh, all off season long because you got to get ready for Tennessee. There's no warm up game. You got to go out there and be ready to play at your best in your first game. And so, you know, to some degree, that can be a good thing if you take it that way. Uh, and you know, I'll say this: I mean, we've been we've been kind of okay. This this is this could go wrong. That could go wrong. If Virginia goes out in this Tennessee game and hangs with Tennessee, has a chance in the second half to make it interesting, that can put a different spin on the way this season could go for Virginia. Yeah, no question about it. Um, but you got to remember, this is also uh, a Tennessee team that blew Clemson out in the bowl game. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't, don't want to rain out in the parade, but. Um, I don't know. You know, if I'm if I'm trying to rebuild Virginia, and I and I know that the cupboard is bare in some spots and stuff with with Broncos' sudden exit, I'm not taking any games like Tennessee or Maryland. I, maybe there's, I don't, I don't. The Tennessee game certainly wasn't scheduled in advance. Uh, Maryland may have been. Um, I'm going to do like Duke did when they couldn't beat anybody. I'm going to schedule some of the weakest non-conference teams I can find in America and try to build some confidence, some wins. Uh, and, and you know, if I can sweep my non-conference schedule and win two conference games, I, I'll qualify for a bowl game. And, and I think if you follow that method for – two or three years and build your program, build some confidence, get some recruiting going, uh, get in some bowl games, even if they're meaningless bowl games, they're still bowl games and recruits want to go to bowl games, um, no matter how bad they are. But I mean, it, that, that I think that's the smart way of rebuilding a football program. Uh, once you've got a built, hell yeah, you can take on the world. But, uh, yeah, even Broncos' best teams would have probably struggled a little bit against this Tennessee team. Uh, maybe not the one who went to the Orange Bowl because they gave Florida a, a pretty decent game. But um, 
I just I don't think this is the smartest approach in trying to rebuild a football program is scheduling teams that you're not favored to win, not favored to beat. And you know what does that what does that do to your program? What does that do to your fan base? What does that do to your recruiting? I don't know. I just I think there's a better way. You said when Duke Duke scheduled a certain way when they weren't able to win games. I think they won nine or ten games last year. I know they won nine in the regular season. I'm not sure if they won their bowl. Yeah. All right. So that's what the so, new coach. The new coach, right? Right. A coach that was up for for our job and our coach our jo- coach was up for their job. All right. So here's Duke's schedule this year. <laughs> um, now they open with Clemson. The ACC said so. So you're open with Clemson, and then also week five uh, they play Notre Dame. It's one of the, they're one of the teams gets to play Notre Dame this year. There are other three games in the month of September, uh, non non conference games that they decided to schedule: Lafayette, Northwestern, UConn. Uh, there you go. <laughs> they're still scheduling that way, even though they won nine games last year. Uh, well, they probably wonder if they can continue to win nine games. <laughs> and they won, and, and five of their first six games are in Durham. Um, so, um, yeah, they're they're scheduling the way that you should schedule if you're a Duke or Virginia. And Virginia is trying to schedule. I don't know what we're trying to be. Um, uh, but it's well, not Wake Forest used to do that too before they before they turned their program around. And I still don't think they play uh, the most aggressive schedule in the world. But um, I don't know. I just if you're down on your luck and you're trying to rebuild, I, I just, getting your brains beaten out every weekend is not the way to do it. We saw that happen here once before, and it didn't work. No, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to look up Wake's schedule real fast to see if, uh, let's see, Elon, Vanderbilt, Old Dominion, Georgia Tech, that's your first four games. Um, we're playing Tennessee to open the season. Uh, that's, eh, you know, it almost feels like we're playing a guarantee game, Jerry, and we're the guarantee team. I guess you get a good payday out of it, but... Uh. Uh, yeah. I'd much rather be the team paying the team to come in than being the team paid to come in. Yeah, exactly. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, well, um, okay. That's a lot of good football talk there. Jerry, we have, we have, you know, we, we, every week, the last few weeks we've been saying, what do we have to talk about? Here we are at the hour mark. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've, we've done some talking here. Uh, what else is on your mind as we begin to wrap up the show? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, uh, Virginia did hire a, New women's lacrosse coach, um, Sonia LaMonica from Towson State. She's been their head coach for 14 years and finished first or second every year. And I think at least 10 of the 14 years she was there in the CAA. And uh, her husband, who was a standout player at Maryland, uh, is on her staff. So uh, a lot of lacrosse knowledge being infused, uh, replacing Julie Myers, who was a, a legendary coach for a quarter of a century or more here in Virginia. So uh, we wish her the best in her retirement and uh, wish uh, Sonia and her husband the best in trying to uh, advance Virginia's women's lacrosse program, which is um, one of the better ones in the country, I would would guess. And uh, so, you know, not, not a whole lot else. Uh, our good friend, our good friend, um, Ryan O'Connor, uh, texted him last night to congratulate him, uh, has been elected to the American Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame. 
one of two uh, guys that will be inducted in January. And uh, most deserving. I, I told him uh, it was great. And um, he, was, as you might expect, was very humble. And uh, he said, um, he said, we'll have to have a Hall of Fame drink when I get back to town. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we'll do that. But he's he's on the recruiting road, beating the bushes for the next six weeks, Chris, trying to find some of America's finest high school and junior college and I guess other baseball talent wherever he can find it. Uh, I think they uh, I think they picked up a couple of transfers in the last few days, if I recall. I did write. I wrote a a brief piece about they picked up two relief pitchers, uh, the an Ivy League pitcher of the year from Penn, and then a a young man, another young man from Elon, both who have really big strikeout numbers coming out of the bullpen. So, adding some depth to the to the pitching staff as was needed with losing some guys uh, this year. And they they had a pitcher from Elon this past year yeah. pretty well. So, um, but other than that, uh, things are kind of quiet on the Western Front, as they say. And um, uh, I, I'm going to write a, a piece in a few minutes when we get off. Uh, uh, a, a big Virginia fan. He didn't go to Virginia, but he's a big Virginia fan. Tremaine Blair as uh, an actor, and he just landed. Uh, his first role, and he's having a red carpet premiere tonight up in uh, the D.C. Uh, Beltway area for his movie. Uh, for his, I think uh, he plays a part, a guy named uh, Hosea or Hosea or something like that. I can't, I'll have to look at my notes. But uh, he's very excited about that. I told him I was going to write a little piece about it. He's a big Wahoo fan. He's come to comes to every Virginia game he can. Um, and uh, he was kidding me. He said, if I could wear, wear an orange and blue tuxedo for my premiere tonight, I would. So uh, Wahoo fans go out and uh, support his project. Uh, and uh, we wish him the best with his premiere up in Beltway. And other than that, I just want to thank our sponsors, uh, Good Feet Store. Jonathan Cotton, um, saw him on Twitter the other day. He was posing in, I think it was in Williamsburg or somewhere with uh, uh, Colonel George Washington. And uh, uh, he keeps good company that Jonathan Cotton does. But he, uh, we love his store. I'm a customer. Uh, if you're having any discomfort, or even if you're not, uh, walking or running, not only in your feet, but your knees, hips, back, whatever, go by and check them out. See their special arches. They especially design them for your feet, your specific feet, to help uh, you walk and get around more comfortably. And uh, he's a, a big UVA supporter, and uh, we hope that our community will support his store. Uh, they're on fire. They're opening up stores all over the Mid-Atlantic with incredible success and the Aberdeen barn, uh, one of my favorite places in the world, uh, Virginia's finest steakhouse, Angela and Terry over there. Uh, I mean, it's Wahoo central. If you want to go eat, uh, have a great steak ribs, prime rib, uh, whatever, uh, get it there and a great atmosphere, great service, great food. 
and Roback, uh, activewear company based right here in Charlottesville, one of the fastest growing companies in in their industry in the United States, and they're having great success as well. Uh, sportswear for men and women, uh, they got it all, and great colors, uh, comfortable fabric. Um, I can't uh, say enough about it. It's great stuff. So look for them on our website as well. And you can order and get 20% off of your first order. So um, I know many of you have done so, and we encourage you to continue to support this group of, uh, of Wahoos. Um, also, all the people that support us on my website and uh, thank them anytime you're in to see their product or, or um, visit their business. So uh, thank you very much, and thank you to those sponsors. And uh, also, you know, you can, if you're listening to this on my site or Chris's site, uh, you can find it on any podcast platform, if I'm not mistaken, Chris. And Chris has done a great job in getting us some visibility on YouTube. We're getting a lot of hits on that, too. So um, if, you can, if you can stand to look at me for an hour, <laughs> Chris is a prettier boy than I am. So. Uh, but uh, anyway, check us out on YouTube. I, th I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, we have a, uh, I'm, I'm working on lining up some pretty interesting guests for some extra podcasts uh, until football season gets underway. So I, I think you'll enjoy those too. Basically, if there's a place I can find a, to get this podcast, I'm going to put it there. <laughs> if they'll have us, we will be there. So, and so I'll, I'll say that if if there's any place out there, uh, listeners, viewers that you think we should be that we're not, send me an email uh, at augustafreepress2 at gmail.com. Let me know and I'll I'll put us there. So um, for the Hall of Famer, Jerry Ratcliffe, I am Chris Graham signing off. Go to jerryratcliffe.com, augustafreepress.com for the latest on UVA sports news. Everyone have a great week. <laughs>